Welcome to A Word Fitly Spoken, a podcast about Jesus, His Word, and our joy in following Him. I'm Michelle Leslie. And I'm Amy Spreeman. Tonight, we want to get things started by saying a huge thank you to our listeners. You know, ladies, we always appreciate your encouraging reviews, and we just wanted to share a couple of them with you. Uh, there is one from, uh, I'll probably murder this name here, Yanuri S., uh, who left us a five-star review on iTunes and says this, I just found your podcast and can't stop listening. I'm not a new Christian, and I am learning new things through your podcasts and the topics being discussed. I was a follower of Beth Moore and the popular teachers, that, of course, until recently, and the last few months have been learning or relearning the things that I was taught to believe that are incorrect. Your podcast has helped me with a lot of the questions that I had, and I love that you support everything with Scripture. And when I go back and study it and review commentaries, your interpretation has always been correct. So thank you for sharing the truth about God's Word and never compromising. Thank you for sharing sound doctrine. Well, thanks so much, Yanuri. We really appreciate that. We sure do. That was so sweet. And let's get to one more review here before we move on. This one is from Sorella Bote in Canada, who also left us a five-star review on Mm -hmm. iTunes. And she said, thank you, ladies, for such a biblically sound place where us women can learn, grow, and have trusted guidance, especially when you've been deceived by false teachings previously. Ministries like this are vital to grow and train in righteousness. Mm -hmm. Thank you. Yes. Isn't that it great? Is. I, it, those those comments are so encouraging, and we appreciate that so much because not all the comments <laughs> that we get are encouraging. Some of them are downright discouraging. So we really appreciate those encouraging comments. And you know, Amy, I was I was thinking earlier this week these comments, these kinds of comments, like the ones we read tonight, they really take me back to last week's episode: why we won't stay yeah. silent. You know, it's not just just new Christians who are just learning these things, but it's also women who have been Christians for years and years, and their churches have never properly trained them in discernment. Or worse, their churches are actually training them in false doctrine via, oh, the women's Bible studies that they use and so forth. Ladies, all of you, you are why we won't stay silent. Thank you for your encouraging stories and comments. Yes, thank you. And if you're enjoying A Word Fitly Spoken, or if you've learned something from one of our episodes, we would love to hear from you, too. Just leave us a five-star rating, if you wouldn't mind, and an encouraging comment wherever you listen to A Word Fitly Spoken. And we'd also like to say a big thank you to our recent donors. Uh, Natalie donated through PayPal, and Monica is our newest Patreon, or patron on Patreon. I always get that mixed up, but thank you so much, ladies. And I have one more. I I wanted to uh, read a note from another donor through PayPal, and uh, her name is Phyllis. And Michelle, let me just read this note to you. Uh, She writes, I have appreciated the information you've provided and have shared your link with many of my friends. I'm looking for a voice that can be trusted and that honors the Word of God and points to the cross above all, and that is difficult to find. Uh, She writes, two years ago, we left our church of 30 plus years Mm. as it continued to drift and has become entrenched in the spiritual formation movement. Many left before us and many have left since, but unfortunately, new people just come and fill the seats. We have found a smaller Bible-believing fellowship and are making new friends and enjoying the sweet fellowship of like-minded believers. And I've also appreciated your podcasts on The Chosen. Sometimes I have felt like I was the only one who had too many red flags about the series and the writer. I wasn't interested in watching it, but a friend sent me season one as a birthday gift, and I just felt obligated to watch it again. And my friend has since changed her mind and won't watch it any longer. Praise God. So I just wanted to let you know that you have a female follower and supporter. Oh, Phyllis, thank you so much for your your wonderful support and uh, just that kind encouragement. Yes, absolutely. Thank you so much. And what great news that they've, they found a new church and so sorry that people are having to leave their churches that they have been in for decades. I mean, that's just, I know that can be heartbreaking when that's really, you know, you feel like that's your home and all your friends are there and everything, but you know. 
sometimes you just have to because we love Christ more. And uh, so, but we we love our donors and we love hearing from y'all. Thank you, ladies, so much. You know, your kind and generous gifts keep us on the air. And we really do appreciate those gifts and the encouragement as well. Yes. And I just want to put a plug in for you, Michelle, before we get rolling tonight, because you've got a wonderful resource on your website about uh, finding a church if you can't find one in your area. Can you want to uh, just share with the ladies a little bit about that? Sure, absolutely. And if you'll remind me, we'll put that that link in the okay. show notes. Um, it's called, uh, if you'll go to my blog at michellelesley.com and look in the blue menu bar at the top of the page, there's a tab that says searching for a new church. And I've got scads and scads of uh, church search engines, uh, some article, lots of articles and resources on what to look for in a church, yeah. you know, the good theology that you should be looking for. I've got information on church planting because sometimes, you know, you can't find a decent church in your area or, you know, even within achievable driving distance of your house. And really what we need to start doing is start looking into church planting. So I've got some information there on that, how to leave your current church. So it's just like one-stop shopping for finding a new church and leaving your old church. So <laughs> yeah, I recommend that all the time. <laughs> <laughs> I do too. I'm trying to get the, the word out there more. So if you know someone who's looking for a new church, maybe they're in a church that has, you know, soured to sound doctrine and they need to find a new place to go, be sure to go there and find it. It's michellelesley.com, blue menu bar at the top of the page, and click on searching for a new church. All righty, let's get to it, shall we? We shall. Last October, yeah, last October, we debuted our first What Would You Do episode, and you listeners liked it so much, we decided to make it a recurring feature of the podcast. So tonight, we're back at it. Now, just to review, in case you don't remember, there's a reality TV show on ABC called What Would You Do? And the premise of the show is that they set up sort of a, a weird or an unexpected scenario in a public place. And they see how people react, and then they interview some of those people about why they reacted the way they did. For example, they might go into a restaurant and have some actors playing rude customers to an act- actress who's playing a waitress and see if any of the real customers at nearby tables intervene on behalf of the waitress and things like that. Right. So Michelle and I are going to do this podcast version, uh, also a biblical version of that tonight. And uh, we've come up with, each of us have come up with three, what would you do type scenarios to ask each other about. But here's the funny catch. Uh, we have decided, this worked, This was so much fun last time, that uh, we've decided to keep these scenarios a secret from each other. So uh, we've both got to give our answers off the cuff. And if you'd like to play along, this is kind of a new element that we've been doing. You can listen to the scenario and then hit pause and come up with your own answer and then hit play again to see how we answered. Oh, you don't have to do that, but it's kind of fun. Um, You might even like to share your answer with us on Facebook, Twitter, or our Instagram page. And of course, uh, you can find all those links at awordfitlyspoken.life. All right, so I'm going to be the guinea pig. I'm going to go first, Michelle. um, Be gentle on me, my friend. What is your first (laughs) what would you do scenario for me? Oh, Amy, you have so much wisdom. You don't you don't need me to be gentle on you. <laughs> you can handle anything I throw at you. Now, Aww. you and our listeners might remember that on our last episode of What Would You Do? I had an extra question that I didn't get to ask you, and I said I'd save it for next time. Oh, I forgot well, what that was. The, <laughs> well, I didn't ask it to you, remember? I said I'll, oh, I'll save that one. Okay. Remember, I had you pick between two different numbers. I had the questions numbered, and I said pick oh, this one yeah. or that one, and you you picked one, and then I didn't tell you what the other one was. Oh, gotcha. Okay, so well, this will be a surprise. <laughs> right. This will be a surprise. So the seven months of suspense are over for you and our listeners. I know you've just all been waiting and waiting <laughs> to hear what yeah. that next question is. So here it is. Okay. Ready? I think all right. so. Yes, you'll do fine. Okay. You're the women's ministry director at your church. (laughs) One of the ladies in your group, (laughs) that's not so far out. (laughs) One of the ladies in your group is a new Christian. We'll call her Jane. Jane is the new Christian in who's already in your group. And she tells, she tells you she's been trying to witness to her sister, Tiffany. Now, Tiffany won't come to church on Sundays, but she has agreed to come to the women's Bible study that you're starting next Thursday. Ah. 
Now, when Jane, when Jane and Tiffany show up on the first day of Bible study, you discover that Tiffany is dressed as a woman, but is actually a man who's in the process of surgically altering his body in order to to appear to be a woman. So what do you do that first night? And then what do you do afterwards? What would you do, Amy? Oh, my, my word, Michelle. I, um, I have never heard of such a scenario. Okay. So, <laughs> so Tiffany is now, now go through this again. She's a, it's actually a man, but uh, right. dressed as a woman. So, okay. Jane and Tiffany are sisters and, hmm. um, Jane is the woman in your women's group and Tiffany is her sister and she's, Right, oh, that exactly. Would, that would definitely be an awkward moment, wouldn't it? <laughs> I think it would be. Yes. Um, however, uh, what, what we want to do is uh, answer biblically and truthfully. And we have to remember that uh, Tiffany uh, is the one who is not the new Christian. Tiffany is outside of the church and Tiffany is is vis- visiting this uh, Bible study. Now, um we have to also remember that a Bible study is to study God's Word and is typically not an evangelical outreach. And I've said this before, church is not either, although guests certainly are, are welcome to come to church. But for a, a women's Bible study or men's Bible study, you typically wouldn't bring somebody who isn't saved to learn with you about the Word of God. You would you would evangelize, you would share the gospel with that person, um, maybe one-on-one or in a group or whatever. But but you wouldn't typically do that. So uh, it, it was Jane, right? Jane um, probably shouldn't have done that, but Jane didn't know because Jane is, is apparently new to this as well. Um, so what I would do is I would probably uh, take a break, have the ladies begin to to study a little bit or just fellowship, and I would take both of them aside. And I would say, I, I, I you know, thank you for coming. And I would proceed to share the, the gospel with both of them. And I would want them to know that Christ died for the sins of the world and, you know, homosexuality, transgenderism, you know, here's where it gets really sticky because now somebody's going to get offended, right? Um, but just say, you know, we love you and we, we want you to learn about Christ, but we also want you to learn about uh, the gospel and the good news. And so I, I would probably share the good news with them and, um, but I would not I, I don't think I could invite uh, them to participate, the two of them. I, I might say, would you mind um, coming back and or waiting for me? Or I'm, I might excuse myself as, what am, what am I, the director? I, I might excuse myself and have somebody else be in charge of that uh, particular facilitation of the Bible study. And I might step out and I might spend a lot of time with the two of them uh, and share. But I, I don't think I could. I, I think it would be a major disruption to have uh, Tiffany be a part of the Bible study. And I, I certainly wouldn't want to put uh, the members of the Women's Bible Study in that position of, you know, now what do I do? Uh, and you certainly don't want to give the impression that, hey, it's okay. Everybody's welcome. Because really, it, it's for the purpose of studying God's Word together as believers. Um I don't know if that's the way everybody would answer that question, Michelle. How would you answer that? Well, first of all, I think that's a great way to handle it, especially off the cuff like that. <laughs> it's, that's probably the most awkward thing I've ever done, but yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. I think you answered very wisely. And one of the reasons I bring this really difficult question up is, first of all, this was a real scenario. Ah. This is, um, I, I wrote a mailbag article on this, which we'll link up in the show notes. But this was uh, this was not a question that a reader asked me, but I used to be in a Facebook group of women, and this scenario was brought up in that Facebook group as something that actually wow. happened to a pastor's okay. wife. Now, the, the pastor's wife, fortunately, the, uh, what had happened in reality is that this man had been attending services as a visitor and asked her ahead of time if it would be okay if he attended the Bible study. So at least she had a little heads up and wasn't caught at the Bible study, Whoa, you yes. know, uh, wanting to do this. They, they live in, a, you know, this church was in a very perversion affirming area. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, this, this did happen. So what I want to say about that is to our listeners, we need to sit down and start thinking these things through before they happen. Yes. So we don't get caught off guard. Now, obviously, we cannot imagine every single scenario that could ever possibly happen. But but I do want to encourage all of us to sit down and count 
the cost of following Christ right now. Um, you know, this, if this happens to you, you're going to not want to hurt this person's feelings. Right. You're not going to want to feel awkward or whatever. But we have to make a conscious decision to stand on and for the truth of God's Word, no matter what. It is time to get serious. I mean, we've seen pastors jailed in Canada for continuing to hold church meetings. We've seen parents lose custody of their kids for standing against the spouse spouse who wants to uh, surgically mutilate the child's mm, body, yes. you know, and change them from one sex to the other if, as if that could be done. We've seen bakers and florists dragged into court for refusing to participate in homosexual, quote unquote, weddings. So, if this scenario happens to you, that kind of thing might be going through your mind. What might happen if we deny this person to come into the women's Bible study? You got to decide, is standing on God's word worth anything it might cost you? Decide that now. Don't wait till something like this happens. And I hope you'll decide that, yes, standing on God's word really is worth anything it might cost you, and it could cost you dearly. I think the first thing that I would do just for me personally, because I'm, I am very awkward and I'm, I would really be concerned about this is I would pull Jane, the, the Christian that is in my, my women's group. I would pull her aside and just make sure Tiffany really is a man. <laughs> I'm not making a mistake that, cause you know, there are some women well, you who have say that Tiffany was a man. Yeah. <laughs> right. Right. Uh, but for me personally, you know, I, I don't want to make a mistake and hurt, you, you know, the person Tiffany's feelings if she's not really, uh, you know, a man. <laughs> so, so that was, that would be the first thing I would do. And then, the next thing that I would do is I would go ahead and go get, you know, I would leave where where the classroom is and I would go get my pastor or an elder or even my husband. One of the benefits of and certainly there's nothing wrong with with um the way that you said that you would handle it, Amy, because you said very well how you would handle it. But if you want to take a different route, one of the benefits of being a woman who's not an authority is that you don't have to deal with things right. like this. You know, we always talk about the things that the, the supposed downside of not being able to preach and not being able to exercise authority over a man. A man. Those are not, you know, that's not a problem, but this is one of the benefits. You don't have to deal with things like this. This is the pastor and the elder's responsibility, especially since they're men. If they are there in the building, yes. But in my church, in, in my church during women's Bible study, uh, it's just women in the entire building. It's very rare that uh, because we don't have office hours, it's, uh, yeah, the, the pastor lives just a few blocks away. So. <laughs> Or text him and ask him to come up there, yeah, or something like that. Um, but especially since they're men and this man is a man, not not because of authority or teaching or anything like that, but because men, you know, men relating to men. So they can take this man aside very kindly, share the gospel with him, just like Amy said, and then hopefully sort of bring him under their wing and disciple him long term uh, in repentance in his biblical role as a man, certainly, you know, hopefully continuing to share the gospel with him if he doesn't get saved that very first time, whatever. Uh, and then in conjunction with that, they should help him to get whatever, you know, assuming he does get saved, to help him get whatever medical help he needs to transition as far back as possible to physical manhood. Um, if, but, you know, if, if the situation is a little bit uh, different, if if he chooses to continue attending services and classes, he can t attend classes for men. And the, but the pastor and elders should make clear to him that he is to dress as a man. No makeup, no feminine hairdos ex or accessories or anything like that. Because dressing as a member of the opposite sex in order to deny your God-determined sex, that's a sin. And your pastor should not be allowing this sin to be committed at church any more than he would allow any other sin to be committed at church. So that's sort of the, the pattern of action. Now, if after being informed of all of this, the man shows up for church dressed as a woman or he tries to come, you know, to the, a women's event again or something like that. 
the pastor and the elders should remind him that he was told not to do this and then firmly ask him to leave. You know, we can ask people to leave the church. We want to be as loving and accepting and kind as we possibly can to people. But there comes a time where you have to guard the church against sin. And this could be, you know, a scenario where the pastor and the elders would need to guard the church and ask him to leave. But we just need to keep in mind that doing anything to accommodate or affirm this man's sin is cruel. It's unloving, even including using um, female pronouns right, for, exactly. for this man. Yeah. That's that's not loving, you know, continuing to embrace him as though he's not doing anything wrong. That is cruel. He needs the gospel. Christians rescue people out of slavery to sin. We don't encourage them to embrace their chains. So that is that's kind of my thoughts on the issue. And um uh, well, you know, like I said, we'll link that article up that I wrote about it in the show. Yeah, notes, and I would so. just add that as we're protecting the church from uh, sinful behavior, we want to also include uh, use of restrooms in that as well. Uh, absolutely. Yes, okay. yes, yes, yes. Okay, Michelle. Well, here is my first scenario for you. And ladies, again, Michelle hasn't seen this one or, or uh, she doesn't know this one's coming. Okay. This is one actually that I was asked a few times over the past several years. So what would you do? If a friend came up to you and said that she had a loved one uh, who was experiencing some kind of demonic oppression or possession in a way that manifested through terrible dreams and even physical uh, twitches, and she wants to know, Michelle, should she try to cast the demon out or perhaps take the loved one to an experienced pastor or elder for help, what would you tell her? And, And please don't say bring your loved one to Amy's house. (laughs) <laughs> well, I definitely don't worry. I wouldn't send them to your house, Amy. <laughs> uh, I didn't think so. Uh, you know what? I think I'm going to first fall back on my my primary answer that I give people a lot of times. And the first thing I think I would advise you to do, uh, the, advise the friend to do that's dealing with this other friend is to go talk to your pastor about it, assuming you're in a doctrinally sound church. Uh, get, you know, get some counsel from him. Maybe he would suggest bringing the friend in to see him or something like that, the two of y'all together. Um, so that's the first thing I would advise you to do is advise the friend to do is to go see her pastor. Um, let's see. Also, uh, have, I would suggest that you, I'm just going to say you for the, you know, the person I'm advising that you have your, your friend who's having all these problems, uh, get a medical checkup and make sure it's not something like a brain tumor or some sort of, I don't know, some sort of medical condition that's causing these problems. Just get that out of the way. Um, the next thing I would say is, you know, if it's not, um, if it's not a medical issue, uh, you might want, like I said, talk to your pastor. You might want to also talk to a biblical counselor, you know, if your, if your pastor thinks that's a good idea, uh, because they have, you know, some, some ways and some methods of, of dealing with these kinds of things, or they can maybe refer you to someone else. But the primary thing that that friend needs, if, if it truly is demon possession, the, the primary thing that that person needs is the gospel, because that will take care of that. Getting saved will take care of that because people who are saved cannot be indwelt by demons. We know that from scripture. When, when we are saved, the Holy Spirit comes in to, to indwell us. And, um, he's not going to share you with demons for sure. So, um, so those are the primary needs. I'm, I'm not sure really beyond that how I would, advise someone to handle that. So that's, I guess that's my answer. I feel it's a little inadequate, but I think, I think that's how I would get started. That, that's a great start and very wise too, Michelle. Uh, you know, and I would also remind ladies listening to this podcast that the way we are delivered from demonic oppression, like Michelle said, is through Christ alone, through repenting and trusting in Him and throwing ourselves on His mercy, not through incantations or special classes or sozo 
prayer or anything like that. Your friend doesn't need to lay hands on this person or yell at the demon out loud in the name of Jesus to come out. No crucifixes, no holy water, just faith is what is required. And like you said, Michelle, starting with the gospel is utmost. So, uh, so this friend uh, may want to share the gospel with her loved one and pray with this person. Prayer is very powerful. Now, uh, if, if he or she is already a Christian, um, the person who is experiencing this, prayer and scripture reading can help renew the mind. Um, if they're not born again, yes, they need their sins forgiven. And then I would also um, depend, even if, you know, either scenario, uh, whether they're saved or not saved, let's say that uh, maybe they go to the same church. Initiate a prayer session with elders and deacons, maybe the pastor, anyone who wants to come and pray with this person. Uh, nightmares are scary. Twitching is scary too. Uh, there may be something physical, like Michelle said, that needs to get checked out. But the thing to remember is when we are saved, we become the temple for the Holy Spirit. And a couple of verses I want to just share to remind us of this. Uh, first one is 1 Corinthians six nineteen and 20. Do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? You are not your own. You were bought with a price. Therefore, honor God with your bodies. So like Michelle said, God does not share his temple with Satan. So we as Christians cannot be demon possessed. Now influenced? Yes, we can be. Um, That's why we need to renew our minds and take captive of our sinful thoughts and then abide in him. And that's why there's so many warnings by Jesus and uh, the other writers that we need to really be careful about sin. 2 Corinthians 10.5, when we destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God and take every thought captive to obey Christ. And then Romans 12.2, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. And by the way, God reveals what he wants us to know about the supernatural world in the pages of scripture. Anything beyond what the scriptures say or teach on demons is nothing more than really pure speculation. For instance, there is no such thing as a spirit of alcoholism or a Jezebel spirit or a sneaky squid or any other made up animal (laughs) spirit waiting to possess you. It's just not true. Um, But there are some people who believe that they have been given the gift of exorcism, uh, just like the apostles in the New Testament. Now, these folks may have great intentions. They might be the kindest, sweetest people you've ever met, but they are actually part of the spiritual warfare movement, uh, which is um, unbiblical. And I've got a a white paper over on BereanResearch.org that I'm going to post in the show notes about this so that you can read more about this movement, uh, which calls for Christians to take dominion over the spiritual realm. We're not to do that, ladies. You can't find this uh, in the Bible anywhere. It is part of that new apostolic reformation that we have warned about in our uh, many podcasts. So again, lots of things in the show notes about that. But we are not to cast out demons. We are to flee from evil. So that's my thought on that, Michelle. (laughs) Um, yeah, Amy, I completely agree with your answer. And those were some great scriptures that you, um, that you shared with us. And another thing that came to my mind while you were sharing those scriptures is that look how Jesus deals with the demon or with the devil in, uh, Matthew four when he's out in the wilderness yeah. and Satan walked right up to him and he's, he's, uh, it wasn't really oppression and it certainly wasn't possession, but he was, um, Satan was, um, tempting Jesus. But, how does he battle Satan? He battles him every single time with it is written, yes. you know, the the written word of God. And so hiding God's word in your heart is a great weapon um, anytime something that is not of God, okay? whether you want to call it demonic or whatever, anytime something that is not of God. Uh, you're faced with that. That is how you battle it. You battle it with scripture. So ladies do really make, be, be serious about making, um, memorizing scripture a, a practice, a regular practice, you know, in your spiritual life. Be memorizing scripture so that you can, you can use it and be strengthened by it. And, uh, that's really, uh, what spiritual warfare is all about. Yes. True <clears throat> spiritual warfare. 
Yes. All right, Amy, ready or not, here is my scenario number two for you. All right. Your husband, who is well-known and loved in the community, dies. You know, he's like famous in the community. So hundreds of people are expected to show up for the funeral. And the only building in town large enough to hold all those people is an NAR megachurch, New Apostolic Reformation megachurch. You know, a church like Bethel or even a Hillsong church or Stephen Furtick's Elevation Church or something like that. Whatever. It's a bad place with bad theology. Okay, so they have offered the use of their sanctuary for the funeral for free, and none of their pastors or staff will be participating in the funeral. You'd just be using the building. So, and only your doctrinally sound pastor and others of your choosing will conduct the funeral. So, do you use the sanctuary? What would you do? Well, I know what the arguments would be that, you know, the church is just a, it's not a building. The building is just brick and mortar. The church are the people. However, uh, I would have to say no, uh, because, you know, what, what do people do when they get there? They look around at this beautiful, stunning place and they go, wow, this is really cool. Look at this. This looks like a, a laser light show thing that they might have on Sunday. And look at all these, look at all these, uh, publications and these magazines and this, you know, the resources that they have here out in the hallway. So I, I don't think I could do it. Um, it, you know, and so then the problem becomes, well, then where do you put all these people? Uh, you know, listen, you could set up a tent in the backyard or if it's the middle of winter, go to a smaller church that is biblical sound, you know, that maybe has more seating or uh, rent a hall or something. But um, no, I, I wouldn't put my my loved ones, uh, guests, people I don't even know, I, I wouldn't put them uh, in the, the wolf's den, as it were. I, I couldn't do that. I And and I know I've been to conferences before where, um, you know, the, the conference was biblically sound, but they rented a church and uh, out in the hallway, there were brochures that I would not want anybody to know, you know, when, when we people. People noticed. Right. Yeah, some of the women said, "Hey, did you see the, the brochures out in the hallway?" And yes, I did. And and it's unfortunate, but um, yeah, I, I I guess that would be my answer. How about you? Pretty much the same. This this question was inspired by an actual local event with a well known and well loved police officer who died from oh. uh, injuries that were sustained in the line of duty. And I don't know anything about the his faith or his wife's faith or anything like that, but they did hold the funeral in a large local New Apostolic Reformation megachurch. So, so I was thinking about that recently. Um, you know, Amy, I got to think about it. You and I would have to be especially circumspect because we have thousands of followers looking to us to set a good example and we don't want to cause anyone to stumble. And also we've been very outspoken against the NAR and we would need to guard our reputation against the appearance of hypocrisy. But, uh, this is, this is very much a, you know, a meat sacrifice to idols thing. And, and listeners, if you're not familiar with that issue, you can look it up in 1 Corinthians 8 and 1 Corinthians 10. Uh, you know, this is, it's not meat sacrifice to idols. It's a building sacrifice to idols, essentially. Uh, now the act of holding the funeral in that structure is not intrinsically sinful, but it does give the appearance that we approve of what normally takes place there, that 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 place has our uh, seal of approval on it or something like that. And that that's just not worth it. Uh, what I would do is I would hold the funeral in my own church or the largest doctrinally sound church I could find in the area, or, you know, if they were available and willing to do that. Or even the largest secular venue in in the area, um, you know, I would. Well, when we hold weddings, we have invitations, but it's, so I don't know if you can send out invitations for a funeral or not, or maybe tickets or something like that. But just so that the people who are closest to you could, you know, have something to show at the door, so that they could be assured that they could get in. Uh, and like you said, you could. I, I have that in my notes. You know that you could set up a tent outside, like you <laughs> yeah. just said. Or you know, there's sometimes there's standing room only. Sometimes there are overflow rooms, especially if you're in a church. There might be an overflow room with screens that you could, you know, pipe the um, service into the overflow rooms. You could live stream the funeral. I don't know if that's a little gauche or not. <laughs> Maybe a little morbid, but yeah, I don't know. It, it depends. Yeah. I, I think in this day and age since COVID, uh, we, we know that live streaming for all sorts of things right. is okay. 
Right. But the thing to keep in mind is that just because people want to attend doesn't mean they get to. That's not the purpose of a funeral is for you to make sure that everybody who wants to attend can attend. So, you know, the, the purpose of a funeral is to proclaim the gospel and to encourage those who are closest to the deceased. And everybody else just kind of comes second after that. So I think that's what I would do. Yes, that I that's a that's a good good thing. And uh in, in our case I I if it was nice nice enough weather, I probably would do the tent thing under the, in the backyard. That would that would be really cool. I think my husband would like that. <laughs> oh, <Yeah. laughs> all right. What's next? Oh, it's my turn. Okay. <laughs> it is. All right. So, if you're ready for my second scenario, here it is. All right. Let's say, Michelle, that you have a friend who is a mom and she has school-aged children at home who are homeschooled, yay, and she is their teacher. Um, unfortunately, in this scenario, her husband dies, leaving her a widow, and she has no family nearby who can help financially or with the kids. And she's asking you, my friend, should she put her kids in public school so she can go get a job to buy buy groceries and pay the bills. Otherwise, she's going to be in big trouble. How would you advise her? Well, first of all, aside from the job, no, do not put your children in public school. Do not. Hear me. If you have children in public school, get them out of the public school. Um, That is not a solution to anything these days. I mean, Amy and I are of the age that when we were little kids, public school was still basically sort of okay-ish, you know, but but these days, no. I mean, you're, no, you're sending, you want to talk about demons? You're sending your children into the demon's lair if you're, if you're sending your children to public school. I don't mean that to sound harsh. I just, I'm so fearful for your children if they're in the public school setting. Um, and I know, I know there are good public school teachers. I know there are a lot of people who their first reaction to that is to say, well, not that, not my public school. My public school is good. If it is, that's great. But I'm telling you, there's stuff going on that you don't know about. And these, you know, perversions and, and, uh, critical race theory and all this other garbage that's going on. It's going on in small rural schools too. Yep. So just get your kid out of that system completely. Okay. Take a breath. Yeah. Uh, for this, <laughs> I just, oh gosh, I just have this visceral reaction when people talk about their kids being in public Me schools. Too. Okay. So, uh, no, I, I would not, I would tell her not to put her kids in public school. Um, we, in situations like this, you have to think outside the box. The very first thing I would tell her to do assuming she's in a doctrinally sound church is to go talk to her pastor get some ideas, get, see if the church can help. This is where the, this is a situation where the church is to step in and help. They're t- we're to take, literally, yeah. we're to take care of widows and orphans. So, um, any, any church worth its salt ought to be helping her. Um, you know, maybe not financing her completely, but helping her to be able to live, maybe finding her an inexpensive place to live, uh, helping her to find maybe a job where she can work online from home where she can still be with her kids, uh, something like that. You've got to get creative and figure out what to do to put your kids first and be sure that that you're praying about this. Um, the Lord knows your needs. He wants to provide for you and he wants you to come to him with your burdens and your concerns and your needs. Ask him to make away. So that's that's what I would suggest to to hers. First, get with your pastor and see what can be done uh, for the church to help you. Also, do a lot of brainstorming, do a lot of creative thinking. How can I work this out? It's It's not a situation of homeschooling or public school. There are a lot of other different options that are available. There might be a, maybe your church has a private school or there's a nearby private school that would allow your your children to attend for free or give them a scholarship or something like that. You know, that might be an option. Maybe there's a homeschooling co-op that that's local um, that you could put your children in while you're working a few hours a week or, or something like that. But think outside the box. Don't box yourself into 
to, well, it's got to be public school or it's got to be homeschooling or it's, you know, it's got to be this or it's got to be that. There are lots of options out there that are available. Get some help. Listen to our episode that we did on homeschooling. That might help uh, that you might still be able to homeschool your child. I, I know of some single moms who homeschool their children. So there it, there is a possibility there that you might be able to do that if you can get creative. So that is, I think that's how I would handle it and advise her. <laughs> Absolutely brilliant, Michelle. I agree. And um, in this scenario, if the mom, like I said, if, if she's a Christian, you you bet her church would be the first place to go for help. And if she doesn't have a good church, then your own church, you know, if you go to different churches, that they might be willing to step in and help, even if she's not a member there. You know, if, if there's a situation, though, where uh, the church can't quite help out or won't or whatever, um you know, there are many local nonprofits in every community that helps women like this widow get the resources they need to make it through. Now, you have to be careful. Uh, you have to be a very careful, wise shopper for the nonprofits because some of them and, you know, they're, they're, many of them are secular and some of them are very woke, but some of them are actually sponsored through churches. So you, you can you can find them. The resources are out there in the community. That's what they're there for. Um, the funding for the nonprofits profits that they receive can come from generous donors in the community or other nonprofits. Um, people and organizations that have set up charitable funds can give to these, corporations, even other churches. So under no circumstances, like you said, would I ever put children in government-run schools today, ever. Uh, to add to what Michelle said, and I, I even hesitate to uh, suggest this, but if you are in denial and um, you or friends of yours need a reality check about what's going in the schools, what's actually being taught to children uh, without parents knowing, go Google libs of TikTok. Uh, I'm going to go put this yes. link in the show notes. It's a it's a horrible site, but libs of TikTok is a Twitter account, and you don't have to be on Twitter to scroll through their tweets. This is a public feed. Right. All they do is they share videos mostly and posts created by liberal left-wing LGBTQ QA, whatever, TikTok and other social media accounts. So you get these teachers who are, you know, blue hair and piercings and whatever, and they identify as something, I don't know, but they make their own little short videos talking about how proud they are about what they're teaching your children and you don't know it. And many of these videos are, are made by teachers who are hell-bent on infusing children with the worst indoctrination you can ever imagine. Yes. And yes, I did yes. intentionally say hell-bent because that is the truthful yes. way to say it. And they proudly admit it in their own words, case after case after case. I mean, I, I did... um did a little research because I wanted to find out how offensive this was. So last night, <laughs> I should never do this at night, Michelle, but last night I was scrolling through libs of, <laughs> libs of TikTok and I could not believe it. If, if you don't have the strength to look at it after 30 minutes, bless you, get off. You don't need to see it, but you get the idea. If you can stomach even 30 minutes of scrolling, you will yank your kids out of public schools so fast. Thank me later. Yes. All right. So... <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. All right. And again, it's it's a it's a site that will make your toes curl. It's unholy, but I think it's so truthful that it's everybody needs to see at least understand what's going on in public schools. Yes. Absolutely. Alrighty. So what's my last scenario for the night, Michelle? <laughs> okay, here's my last scenario for the night. You're teaching a women's Bible study class at your church. A man walks in and sits down wanting to join the class as a student or participant. What would you do, Amy? <laughs> well, thank you for coming and driving all this way. Um, <laughs> this is for women only. <laughs> I, I would very sweetly and kindly uh, ask him to uh, to not attend and say, you know what, though, we've got a great men's study. Come back tonight or whenever it is. And uh, and usually it's that night. And, and you would be amazed at what you can learn. And, uh, and if he uh, decides that it doesn't fit into his schedule, I will uh, ask the pastor to call him and set up some time where they can talk about some ways that he can learn the Bible, but he doesn't need to be learning from
from women, because again, ladies, remember, uh, Scripture tells us that that we're not to teach or have authority. Uh, we're not to teach Scripture to men in any kind of church setting or anything like that. Now, you know, if you're on an airplane and, and somebody sits down and it's a guy and he's never heard of uh, the Bible or Jesus before, and you want to share the truth of the gospel with him, absolutely, you can proclaim, uh, but you're not going to teach. So, the, a very different thing. Right. Okay. Uh, so that would be my short answer, but I, I would want to get him plugged in and I, I would want to be kind to him. I wouldn't want to say, get out, you know, or anything like that. <laughs> of course not. You know, and, and you know what? You might encourage him to bring his, his wife or his grandma or whoever he has a, a lady in his life for, for teaching as well. So yeah, that, that would be my short answer. Well, there you go. Did you anything? want to give a long answer? Yeah. No, no, oh, okay. I think that's, that's a good start. <laughs> okay, that sounds good to me. You said your short answer. I thought, okay, well, maybe there's going to be a long answer too. That would be great too. If I had more time to think, I might add more. But <laughs> yeah, well, wouldn't we all? Um, so, okay, let me let me get an objection out of the way real quick before I answer how I would handle it. First, um, you know, we're assuming that this is not a pastor or elder or husband who is there to evaluate your teaching to make sure that it's biblical for the ladies of the church or, you know, a husband's there to check you out for his wife or his daughters, because that is okay. If they're there to evaluate you, frankly, more pastors and elders and husbands should be evaluating the teachers that they're, the women of their church and their wives and their daughters are listening to. But, you know, if that's the case, you'll probably know that this man is in there. You'll probably know who the man is and you'll, you know, you'll probably, they'll give you a heads up ahead of time. Uh, that this is going to happen. And also you, you would want to explain to the class, Hey, this, this guy, he's sitting in here, not be, not for me to teach him, but for him to check me out and make sure that I'm teaching biblically. So, and, and men, if you ever purpose to do that, you know, do the, te- give the teacher a heads up ahead of time and give her, you know, do her a little favor there. So you don't just walk in and sit down and she's faced with this situation that, you know, she's not expecting. But anyway, um, Assuming that that's not the case, he's just some random visitor or brand new Christian or something. He stumbled into the wrong room. He's a new Christian that doesn't know that women aren't supposed to teach men, things like that. Just like Amy said, I would say basically the same thing. This is, you know, hi, how can I help you? That's always a good opening. Um, And if he says, I'm here for this class, you can say, well, I'm sorry, this is a class for women. You might enjoy Joe Blow's class down the hall, you know, or something like that. Virtually 100% of men will leave if that's how you handle it. But uh, this is sort of a, a like a real life situation again. Well, not a real life situation, but someone brought this up in another uh, Facebook group that I'm in. And the way he asked the question was, what if it's a man who comes in to the women's group and sits down and refuses to leave? Now, it's kind of hard mm. for me to imagine that kind of scenario. Uh, but he said, yeah. you know, women, you know, if you're the if you're the teacher, if you're the woman teacher, do you just go ahead and teach if he won't leave? Well, no, you know, you don't just go ahead and teach. This is a situation that's more important than you just going on with your teaching. Um, you need to go get your pastor, like in the first situation that we talked about, go get your pastor or an elder or even your husband or a burly deacon or somebody <laughs> to make him leave. And not only just for one of those men to come in and hopefully kindly and without making a scene, escort that man out. But also, we would expect that some sort of church discipline would take place against this man who's refusing to leave. This is not just some man that doesn't know any better. He's he's being evil. You know, let's just let's just call it what it is. If if they don't pursue church discipline against this man, or if the pastor won't make him leave your class or something, you've got a bigger problem than just a man coming into your class. You're probably going to need to find a new church. Worst case scenario, yeah. you just you sit down and you don't teach that night. Nobody in your class is going to die if you don't teach a lesson that night, okay? Um, now, this was actually a what did you do situation for me uh, a few years ago. It wasn't not not that the men wouldn't leave, but um, I was at the Cruciform Conference. You know, Amy, you and I did a Q&A from the Cruciform Conference a, a few years ago, and that is a co-ed conference. But I was there to teach a couple of breakout sessions for women. 
And so I was, this was the first year the conference was being held. I was in, you know, had just gotten into teaching. I was already standing up there and, and beginning to teach my lesson. And a couple of gentlemen walked in and sat down. And so I just, I, I kind of, I kept talking just for a second to kind of see if they were you know, going to realize this is for women only and leave. And they didn't. And I was looking around to kind of see if they were there to, I don't know, you know, to help in the sound booth or to, I don't know, pick up something they had left behind from a previous session or something like that. But no, they came in and they sat down and they were there to listen. Just very nice guys and everything. Nothing, you know, they weren't being mean or anything like that. And so once I determined that they were there to be taught, I went ahead and stopped teaching. And I just said, Hey guys, I'm really sorry. You know, but I, I don't think I said, I'm sorry, but cause I'm not sorry. But, um, I said, this, this is just a breakout session for women. I don't teach men, uh, unless y'all are here to evaluate my teaching for biblical soundness for your church or something like that. Uh, this is for women only. And they were just very nice and they got up and left and went and found another breakout session that was being taught by a man, you know, that cause <laughs> I was the only woman teaching there. Uh, and, and they left and there were no hard feelings or anything like that. But you can bet after that teaching session was over, I made a beeline for the, the uh, conference organizer and said, Hey, when you announce my second session, can you please really stress that it's for women only. <laughs> so I think, yeah. you know, maybe they just didn't know any better. There are people who think that conference teaching is not the same thing as a woman teaching in church. So maybe they were of that opinion. But that's how I handled it when um, when that happens to me. Now, some people might say, well, what if this man comes into your class or your breakout session or whatever, and he lies? He says he's there to evaluate you, but he's really there to be taught. Well, He's sinning. You know, I'm, I'm not omniscient. I can't read his mind. If he tells me he's there to evaluate me, I have no, really no choice but to believe him. And he's sinning. And that's between him and the Lord. God will deal with his sin, not discipline me for not being able to read his mind. God's fair. He knows what's going on. He reads everybody's mind. He knows the motives of the heart. So we need to keep in mind in these, these, um, first Timothy two, 12 situations, that this is not all on the woman's shoulders. You know, the man sitting in, right. the the man that's sitting in there, whether he's lying or evaluating or he's there out of ignorance, he is responsible for his actions and the attitude of his heart. It is not all on the woman. There's a lot in a lot of these situations. A lot of this is on the man, too. So, that would be my answer of how I would handle it. All right. Well, that's very good. <laughs> All right. <laughs> well, um, I have a final scenario for you for tonight. All right. You ready? Okay. All right. I'm ready. You and your extended family have opposite views on abortion. Okay. That's a very common thing, right? And they decide that they are going to engage you in yet another discussion about it. And uh, as often as the case, they make the statement that, you know, well, what have you done to help young women who are pregnant? You pro-lifers, you don't care about women. You're just pro-birth. On that one argument, Michelle, what would you say? How do you respond? Okay. Well, um, first of all, I would, I think the first thing I would say is we have gone over this and around and around about this a thousand times. You're not going to change your mind. I'm not going to change my mind. So let's just talk about something else. That's really what I would do. Because they're not trying to, they're not really trying to learn or to, um, I don't know, help any kind of situation or anything like that. They just want to argue. Some people just like to argue. So that that's really what I would do in that situation. I would just say, you know, there's no point in talking about this. We've we've done this before. Let's not do it again. Um, you know, what's your favorite hamburger topping or something like that. Let's talk about that <laughs> instead. Um, yeah. There, you know, there are things that you can say there. The issue is not what happens to the mother and the baby after birth. I mean, that is an issue, but that's not the issue that they're talking about. They're just bringing that up as a red flag to argue in favor of murdering children. And so if the argu argument is about whether or not murdering children should be legal, 
what happens after the baby is born to the mother and the baby is not the issue. It's important, but it's a separate issue is what I'm trying to say. And it should not be brought into the argument about whether or not it is okay to murder a person. Um, And, you know, we've, we've talked about before um, the, the things like, you know, it's, it's not okay to murder a child in the womb, just like it's not okay to murder a two-year-old or a 10-year-old or whatever. So that, um, yeah, that's, that's what I would say. I really don't think I would, as far as that practical scenario goes, I just wouldn't get into it with them because it's pointless. It, it would just end up being a family argument. It's not necessary. So, but you can say that there, you know, more Christians adopt than anybody else. There are all kinds of pregnancy resource centers out there that are helping, uh, helping women through their pregnancies and helping women after the babies are born with formula and diapers and clothes. And they help them to, a lot of them help them to get financial assistance and, and things like that. So, you know, Christians are out there helping people and, it doesn't it really whether i personally have done anything like that or not i have but whether whether i have or not is not the issue the issue is whether it's okay to murder and dismember and torture a baby to death or not and that's what the focus needs to be if you're actually going to get into it with them but i wouldn't so <laughs> that's how i would answer that yeah, Michelle, that's really wise. I, I agree with you. Um, you know, ladies, the abortion industry doesn't care about women. And, uh, you know, for family members who like to argue, uh, you know, they really don't either. Uh, but the abortion industry, we know they prey on vulnerable moms. They exploit them. They lie to them. They leave them hurt. And there are so many lovely people out there and in our own families and circles of friends who are just blind to that truth. So, you know, like Michelle said, we don't want to get into endless arguments. Um, but sometimes, sometimes a respectful discussion can yield positive results. Uh, very few and far between, especially if you've been round and round and round. But every once in a while, you can uh, have a heartfelt talk. And, you know, we don't need to show up to every argument, but we do need to always speak truth. Uh, because the truth is people who are pro-abortion are pro-death, whether they want to admit it or not. And they themselves do nothing, usually for women in crisis who are facing a journey they don't want, as, as except to help them make an irreversible action that always results in death. You know, we who do care about both women and babies have shown our love in practical ways. You know, not all of us can adopt a baby or a foster child, but many have. And like Michelle said, many of them, most of them are Christians anyway, but we can all do other things. Uh, we can pray. Uh, we, you know, some of us have given to and volunteered with women's organizations and uh, homeless organizations. Some take uh, pregnant women into our homes and we care for them. Uh, we give money to help support single moms. We donate money and supplies like diapers and cribs to the homeless and to women in abuse shelters, things like that. We donate tons of items to children and families. You know, we can donate to our local food banks, help distribute food. We work in nonprofits, including crisis resource centers for uh, pregnant moms. We watch older children while mom has her doctor's appointments. Sometimes we drive her there ourselves and we offer hope to a woman uh, who is guilt-torn after having an abortion. This is something all of us can do. Uh, you know, and no matter how long ago this abortion was, because Christ can take that guilt away by what he's already done on the cross and can forgive them for their sins. You know, he took on the penalty of the wrath of God that they, and all of us, by the way, deserve in our wretchedness. And he gave us freedom and eternal life in heaven forever. And he proved it too, didn't he? He proved it not only for taking yes. that punishment and dying for our sins, but beating death once and for all. Hundreds of witnesses saw him after he was executed and watched as he ascended to heaven. Ladies, there's your hope. You don't have to live like this. Carrying that burden of abortion of what you've done, you don't have to do that. He forgives even that and so much more. That's right. And that is good news. Amen.
Yes. Well, we hope that you've enjoyed this What Will You Do episode. It's been a lot of fun playing that game, and uh, and it's really challenging, isn't it? It challenges each of us to really think and prepare for what would happen if. And so uh, if you'd like to play some more, we've got uh, previous episodes and lots of links on our website today. Head over to our social media pages if you got some ideas about some challenges. Uh, what would you like to do in the scenarios we talked about tonight? Uh, it, in fact, maybe you'd like to submit a scenario for our next What Would You Do episode. And if it's a question you'd like for me to try to ask Michelle, maybe stump her a little bit, you can send me a message through my Berean Research Gmail. Berean, by the way, if you haven't heard of that, uh, from Acts uh, chapter 11, verse 17, is spelled B-E-R-E-A-N. It's BereanResearch at gmail.com. And uh, go ahead and put What Would You Do in the subject line. And if you've got a question for me to ask Amy, go to my blog, michellelesley.com, and click on the contact and social media page and send me an email with what would you do or WWYD in the subject line. And we'll put both of those uh, those links in the show notes for you so that you can just click on them so it'll be easier. But listen, it's very yes. important, ladies. You've got to be sure you follow those directions carefully or we won't be able to use your scenario. Like if you just comment on a social media post with here's a scenario, we won't be able to use that because both of us will be able to see that. So you've got to you've got to send in those scenarios separately (laughs) uh, to the to the addresses that we just gave you. So but we will put those in the, the contact. I mean, we will put those in the show notes. So we are looking forward to hearing your ideas. So let us know. Yes, we would love that. And until next time, what would you do? Get into the word, find out what you should do, and walk worthy. 